folks, welcome back to Dava After. This is Chris once again. Folks, welcome back to Chris White Africa here on the Indaba Africa channel. Today is Sunday, May 23rd, 2021. Pleasure to have you back with us here on the channel. Let's get straight to the Indaba Africa news of the day. The headlines with in-depth analysis. Nkosezani Dalimizuma will likely appeal a nearly year-old court judgment against her National Coronavirus Command Council's unconstitutional actions sometime this week. Reportedly, Ace Magashule's allies have privately been urging him to apologize to the African National Congress. 1.6 billion rand for Kami Pals, propping up a totalitarian regime in the Caribbean, the questionable legacy of the African National Congress. The challenges and difficulties of electricity theft and illegal settlement. Irvette Fonsal has set an ultra marathon record of three hours, four minutes, and 23 seconds in the 50 kilometer race in South Africa. Congratulations to the world record holder now, Irvette Fonsal. And the Lions' shocker against the Bulls, defeating them 34 to 33, has put the Rainbow Cup race for rugby in South Africa up in the air. It's now anybody's competition to win after the undefeated Bulls were taken down by the lowly Lions, evening out the table a bit, keeping the Bulls in first place, but with the Stormers and their win, 25-22 over the Sharks in Durban, closing the race. And so now the Bulls remain atop the log, but the Stormers are within striking distance, as are the Sharks. ZANU-PF's debt slavery scheme is exposed once again. The theft of land from legitimate lawful landowners, many of whom bought their land after Zimbabwe became an independent country and only with the approval and authority of either Prime Minister Mugabe or President Mugabe's government, yet their land was stolen from them in a violent, criminal, illegal fashion. And the title not given to anybody, but land loaned out to black African small-scale farmers has turned hundreds of thousands of small-scale black farmers, tobacco farmers, into slaves, debt slaves, being taken advantage of by unscrupulous Zimbabweans and Chinese who are lending them money to do business at unreasonable rates of usury and then reaping the whirlwind, the benefit of the bumper harvest of tobacco. Debt slavery. ZANU-PF's plan all along? You be the judge of that. Things to do in lovely Namibia, according to The Guardian, coming out with a Lifestyle Magazine article about some places to go and things to do in Namibia. And an article in Slate, a publication I rarely read, but a disturbing article in Slate about disturbing censorship afoot in Mauritius. China and Sierra Leone and the row over a harbor. And the former Federal Reserve chairman remains clueless to this very day. Clueless Janet Yellen has trotted out a 60-year-old excuse to give more money to Africa. Completely lost as to the history and events in Africa using the same tired old excuses to take money from our pockets and give it to people who waste it. And the blood red moon is nearly upon us, folks. The 26th of May is the day, just three days away when the blood red moon will be out. Bad news for folks in Europe and Africa, you won't see much of anything. Those of us in North and South America and those in the Pacific, like in New Zealand, will get the chance to see the blood red moon in this total eclipse. Virgin Galactic's flawless flight of its spacecraft is. <laughs> but Virgin Galactic has a flawless flight. We'll talk about that in Germany continues discrimination against United Kingdom citizens with its unreasonable measures and unjustified, unscientific measures against UK citizens. The Germans continue to target London 
over their bum hurt of the United Kingdom leaving the European Union. And the race merchants can add Stephen Smith, the basketball analyst from ESPN, to their roster of race mercantilists. Texas bans racism in the classroom, preventing schools from teaching students that one race is inherently better than another. This should be a no-brainer. This should be no question whatsoever, correct? <laughs> well, apparently there are questions about it. Those are the headlines, ladies and gentlemen, from today, the 23rd of May, 2021. Let's get straight to the in-depth analysis and commentary about the news here on Indaba African News of the Day. In Kozizani Dalimizuma, her government organization will be back in court this week, likely over the validity and rationality of the unconstitutional lockdown, which was imposed nearly a year ago. It's been since June of last year when their measures were declared unconstitutional by the North Haltang High Court. Yet the unconstitutional, unelected, unaccountable National Coronavirus Command Council continues to lord over South Africans, imprisoning South Africans, criminalizing normal conduct of human activity and social interaction because these multi-believing witchcraft clueless clowns are so arrogant and so unresponsive to the rule of law. Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs Minister Kogata Nkosazani Dalmizuma, whom I prefer to call the Uncooperative Governance and Irrational Affairs Minister, is expected to appeal a high court ruling this week, which could have serious implications for the country's lockdown levels going forward. Really? It's been 11 months. Do we really think anything is going to change by a court case? Don't hold your breath on it. As I mentioned, June of 2020, the North Haltang High Court declared most of their actions to be unconstitutional and invalid, yet they continued with them. The court action was originally bought by Reino De Beer and the Liberty Fighters Network, who questioned the rationality of certain regulations that were put forward. Well, I question lots of rationality and lots of regulations. The ban on e-commerce. What kind of moron implemented that? Oh, that's right. Ibrahim Patel, the minister of no trade. Uh, the ban on open-toed shoes. The ban on the sale of cooked chicken. The movement of the South African National Defense Force and SAPs into townships and urban areas to enforce lockdown standards, where in which they quickly murdered 11 or 12 black South Africans and then pulled out and let the virus run rampant because they were worried about the bad press. Yeah, these decisions. These are the decisions that question. The ban on the transport of alcohol, which destroyed South Africa's wine industry. South Africa for decades since the early 1990s has been considered a reliable source of quality, reasonably priced wines. But the ban on moving wine to port prevented South African suppliers from shipping wine to the rest of the world, which didn't have alcohol bans. Dale Mizun is expected to argue that the court only considered six lockdown regulations. It's unfair to make a sweeping assumption that all the regulations are unconstitutional and valid. <laughs> they are all unconstitutional and valid. The former Secretary General of the African National Congress, Ace Magashule, apparently has allies still. <laughs> Can you imagine that? He still has friends and allies. But Ace Magashule, who was suspended by the African National Congress, and on the very same day issued his own suspension against the president of the party, Cyril Ramaphosa, who also happens to be the president of South Africa courtesy of an undemocratic parliamentary procedure which selected him because the ANC had the majority in the parliament. Nobody in South Africa voted for this guy to be president. <laughs> if they did, he would have been recalled long ago. But meantime, Ace Magashule's supporters are urging him, apparently in private, to apologize to the African National Congress because they realize that he can't win this fight. 20 ANC men and women who make up the powerful National Working Committee meet tomorrow for the first time since the party suspended Secretary General Ace Magashule announced the decision on whether he would apologize. The more radical wing of the group supporting Ramaphosa wants the ANC to be decisive on the matter and act against Magashule. How is that radical? This guy is a disrespectful turd. How is it radical to punish him for violating the rules of the party? 
The party has a step aside rule. He refused to step aside. He arrogantly declared that he would refuse to step aside. The party has no authority to do that to him. He thinks he's above the party's rules and above the law. But you're not, Ace Magashule. And his supporters in this, and News 24 calling these radical members of the party, they're not radical. That's ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous. Magashule's bombshell decision to suspend Ramaphosa dropped soon after he was served with a letter of temporary suspension on the grounds that he failed to step aside until the criminal charge against him were cleared by the courts. He's argued the letter was written a few days before he was removed from office. Whatever. <laughs> Your basis for removing him is illegal and violates ANC party rules. After ANC officials met on Monday, a statement was issued by the party did not mention the implications of his noncompliance. Yes. Well, this is ridiculous. This guy is on his way to being expelled from the African National Congress, and it will be the loss to no one. Taking care of your commies, fellow travelers, the questionable conduct of the ruling African National Congress in supporting a totalitarian, fascist, undemocratic republic in the Caribbean. We're talking about, of course, Castro's Cuba, not Fidel, but Raul. The South African government paid over 1.6 billion rand to Cuba for services which could have been done by local warriors. This was revealed in a report in the Afrikaans language newspaper Rapport, which unveiled that a large part of this money was spent on the South African Army's Project Tusano. Project Tusano started in 2015 as a partnership between the Sandef and Cuba to create a sustainable system of transport for the Sandef. I'm sorry, weren't you part of the A400M program? That's the sustainable system of transport for the Sandef. And you were part of it. You were supposed to purchase nine A400Ms. What happened, South Africa? What happened, ANC? Why aren't you in the A400M? It's a perfectly legitimate platform. Honestly, though, I prefer you buy the C-130 Juliet model. <laughs> Leave the money in America. But the A400M is perfectly, perfectly fine. Why didn't you buy it? Why are you in a deal with Cuba? Because you're thieves and you're criminals. And that's what it's all about. You'd rather support people who oppress others because that's what you do. Yeah. You know, National Party, ANC, not a whole lot of difference, folks. Not a whole lot of difference. Two parties that love patronage, two parties that were corrupt, two parties that use excuses, and two parties that use race to divide South Africans. Hmm. National Party, ANC, not a whole lot of difference. The project started in 2015 for the next year with Santa spending 6 million rand on the, pro on the project. Cuban military mechanics are used to provide maintenance to Sandef vehicles and train local mechanics, keeping South Africans unemployed. Why are Cubans even in South Africa? Minister of Defense Nakala revealed that 1.076, that's got to be billion, was spent on the project to date. Yep. Sandef defended the project, saying it has saved the country 2 billion rand over the contract period with the added benefit of developing essential skills. How? How are you developing essential skills? Are the Cubans teaching South Africans? How many jobs have been created by this? Last month, Human Settlements, Water, and Sanitation Minister Lindewe Susuzlu, the permanent, ever-present, teat-sucking leech on South African taxpayers who's never held a job, simply been a member of government since 1994. Former defense minister, by the way. Yes. Hmm. She welcomed 24 Cuban engineers to South Africa. Really? My question is, did they provide evidence of a negative vaccine test? Within 72 hours? <laughs> well, when you steal electricity, it has horrible consequences. There's a reason why people aren't supposed to tap into electricity lines and steal electricity. And you shouldn't live in an informal settlement. Just because there's a piece of land there, well, I'm going to live here. No sanitation, no streets, no lights, no reliable water source. Oh, by the way, the land belongs to someone else. But you know what? I'm going to live right here. Why? Because I've been historically oppressed. So that makes it all right for me to steal 
Yes. No, it doesn't. And there can be tragic consequences for this sort of theft. When And then people complain, oh, we've been abandoned. The Daily Maverick has a story. Nobody sees us. Community outside Graf Renette lives in fear after boys electrocuted by live cables. Yes, this is a horrific story, folks. The Rimvasmak community is not connected to electricity grid, so people are running illegal connections underground to their homes. The problem with the people of Rimvasmak, resident David Hart, David Hart says, is that nobody sees us. It's like we're not here. Well, you're not in a legal settlement. For the past six or seven years since his family moved to the informal settlement outside Graffernet, mere survival has been a challenge. Two devastating fires have claimed the lives of three people. And in July last year, two boys who were trying to retrieve a kite from an electricity line almost lost their lives. That's sad. That's tragic. It is the spot, the spot where the boys burnt, that residents point out quickly. The electricity cables run past their homes but have never been connected. We borrow electricity from those who have. We pay them 400 rand, 300 to use theirs. Well, that's not borrowing, that's theft. And the fact you pay a criminal doesn't make it right. Jacob Alexander's been living there for the past seven years. He doesn't have a job. His wife died a few years ago and he's raising his son alone. In July of 2020, his son Brandon Carlson and other children are playing with a kite in an open field. The kite got stuck in an electricity line. Brandon lost part of his arm in this horrific accident. I have empathy for Brandon, but the fact that this happened because people are living in a place they shouldn't be living in. ASCOM has warned people about flying kites near the high voltage lines. But where must the children go? That's the only place to play they have. Well, perhaps you shouldn't have moved next to high tension lines and put your kids in jeopardy. Better news, folks. Promising news. This is world record setting performance in an ultra marathon for women. Congratulations, ladies and gentlemen, to South Africa's Arvette Fonsal, who broke the ultra marathon world record. She broke the women's ultra marathon world record Sunday, today, during the Ned Bank Unified 50 kilometer race in Nelson Mandela Bay. Or. <laughs> Fonsal took three minutes off the previous mark held by Britain Ali Dixon, finishing in three hours, four minutes, and 23 seconds. The men's race also saw a new world record from Ethiopia's Katema Negas, who stopped the clock at two hours, 42 minutes, and seven seconds. Now, I'll ask you this question, folks. You can be any gender you want, right? Any gender you want. Then why is it that the men's record is two hours and 42 minutes and seven seconds, but the best performer amongst women in the world is three hours, four minutes, and 23 seconds? a full 22 minutes longer than it takes men to finish the 50 kilometers. Could it be because there's biological differences between men and women? I don't know. I'm just asking that question. It seems relevant. But congratulations to Ervette Fonsal on her world record, and also to the Ethiopian gentleman who got a world record. Congratulations, folks. Impressive. Meanwhile, the so-called Rainbow Cup, which replaced Curry Cup, I suppose, in South Africa, with just a mere four teams playing this pathetic competition, the iconic Bulls, Stormers, Lions, and Sharks, everyone else not welcome to play. No Cheetahs, no Kings, no Greekwas, you're not welcome. Well, the Rainbow Cup has been thrown into a tizzy because of the shocking, surprising victory of the Lions. Congratulations to the Lions who defeated the Bulls. Lions upset the Bulls has thrown the Rainbow Cup race wide open. The Stormers edged the Sharks 25-22 at Kings Park down in Durban. And the Lions upset the Bulls 34-33 at Ellis Park to notch their first win of the competition. Now, the Bulls remain at top of the log with 15 points, but the Stormers and Sharks have jumped right up there in second place. There you go. Bulls 15 points, Stormers 11, Sharks 11. The Stormers are in second place on the basis that they have a smaller point differential. Minus two points, and it's minus 26 for the Sharks. The Lions are now in fourth place, but way behind the Bulls. Stormers and Sharks remain within striking distance of 
the Bulls. Congratulations to the Lions who've made this Rainbow Cup far more interesting going forward. Famously, Zimbabwe's Robert Mugabe lied about land tenure in South Africa in, in Zimbabwe, excuse me, in Zimbabwe 21 years ago, claiming that white settlers stole the land from black Africans. While no doubt that is part of the land tenure, that wasn't the full picture. Fully 42% of all land was transferred after 1980 and only with the approval of Mugabe's corrupt venal ZANU, and then later ZANU-PF, Zimbabwe African National Union, Patriotic Front. The government had first right of refusal to all farmland, and they allowed 42% of commercial farmland to change hands at least once. Some of those hectares changed land multiple times, two, three, four, five times. It's the nature of farmland. Sometimes it's sold back and forth for different reasons. So the government of Zimbabwe, at a minimum, could have acquired 42% of all land gazetted as commercial farmland, and handed it to poor black Africans or war veterans. But they didn't do that. They did buy farms with the 63 million pounds that the British government gave them between 1980 and 1994 before they finally stopped giving money because of the corruption. That farmland was purchased and went to the likes of Constantine Chowingo, Sharon Spiri, Robert Gabriel Mugabe, Salomon Mujuru. The list goes on and on and on. And party stalwarts, corrupt, venal, thieving politicians and members of security services. But... What's happened since 2000? Well, the government stole the land, and which was legally acquired, and then allowed black small-scale farmers to farmland, maize, tobacco, and other products. Well, the tobacco sector took a major hit, and now it's back. But the people doing the labor are far worse off than they were before. They're no better. They're essentially debt slaves under the scheme, the corrupt scheme that ZANU-PF has in place. Tobacco farming, or tobacco booms, but black growers complain of debt, and rightly so. Zimbabwe's tobacco is flourishing again, and so are the auctions where premium prices are being paid for the golden leaf that is exported around the world. Most of the growers are black, a historic change for when tobacco was largely produced by white farmers, efficiently, effectively, and employing tens of thousands of black workers. But many of the small-scale farmers complain they're being impoverished by middlemen merchants who are luring them into a debt trap. Rosemary Dozoda recently traveled 200 kilometers to Harare with her tobacco crop for what she hoped would be a good payday. The 60-year-old farmer ended up sleeping in the open for two weeks awaiting payment. When the money eventually came, it was just a tiny fraction of what her tobacco had actually fetched at auction. My tobacco sold for $7,000, but I'm only going home with less than $400, she said after trembling with anger. The rest of the money went to the merchant who had given her a loan to pay for fertilizer, seed, labor, firewood, procuring, and even household food items under a contract growing scheme. In addition to repaying the loan with interest, she was obliged to sell her crop to the merchant at the price he set. The merchant then sold the tobacco to the highest bidders at the auction or to wealthier merchants, mostly buyers who will export the crop to China. For more than 60 years, tobacco was a lucrative export crop from which, crop from which farmers profited. But after the 2000 Mugabe supporters began stealing white farms violently, tobacco production plummeted. Flu-cured tobacco crop dropped from 1998 peak of 260 million kilograms to just 50 million kilograms in 2008. Since then, tobacco production by black farmers has grown. A few thousand white farmers produced the bulk of tobacco before the land reform, but now the number of black far growers, mostly small-scale, has risen to 145,000. The recovery has been stunning in recent years, with the tobacco crop up to 200 million kilograms this year. Zimbabwe's commercial banks used to give loans to white farmers so they could purchase imports for their crops, but the banks pulled out years ago because the government has not issued transferable ownership deeds to black farmers resettled on the formerly white-owned land. In other words, the government has stolen the land, and they're the ones profiting from it, no doubt taking cuts from these middlemen and making debt slaves of black Zimbabweans. Once upon a time, Zimbabwe gained independence, and there was hope for it. 
The Brits want nothing to do with it. They washed their hands of it, pushed to the side. The Americans wanted nothing to do with it. Everyone wanted it for it to be a success story. Just three years later, when Mugabe's thugs in the 5th Brigade, North Korean trained 5th Brigade, marched their way into Matabeleland and killed between 20 and 50,000 people in political retribution, murdering them, many people being shot in the back of the head, dumped in ditches throughout Matabeleland, the world looked the other way as they cleaned the wheat, the chafe from the wheat. The world looked the other way while Zimbabwe sent its combat forces into the Congo to plunder mineral wealth, interfering in that conflict in which over 5 million, 6 million people are now dead. The world looked the other way when Mugabe claimed that white racists stole the land in Zimbabwe, ignoring the fact that 42% of all commercial farmland had been purchased with his government's approval because they had first right of refusal. Zimbabwe is not a country. It's a kleptocracy run by a venal collective of shameful, disgusting, worthless politicians who steal from Zimbabweans. When it was convenient, they blamed it on whites. Now they simply steal. And they turn Zimbabweans into debt slaves. No one is better off today in Zimbabwe than they were in 2000, even the elites, because there's less to steal. The Guardian has come out with an article talking about nice things to do in Namibia. Four Things to Do in the Land of Adventure by Michael Bambadile. Well, that looks like a schnitzel there. That looks quite tasty. Tasty schnitzel. Yes. It's said that the beautiful country of Namibia is for beginners. The southern African country is famous for otherworldly scenery, starry skies, stunning coastline, colossal dunes, vast deserts, incredible wildlife, and epic wildlife adventures. Indeed it is. Listed below are a few things you can do. Well, you can explore Susiflai, one of the most visited tracks in Namibia. It's a perfect specimen for Namibia's unspoilt desert beauty. Salty clay pan situated in the largest conservation area in Africa, the Namib Naukloth National Park. You can safari in Etosha National Park, which is an amazing spot to go. 114 mammal species, 340 bird species, 110 reptile species, 16 amphibians, and a species of fish. You get up to 49 when the floods come in. And you can visit the Himba tribe, semi-nomadic group of people and most recognized with traditional tribes of all of Africa. The Himba people, especially women, are famous for covering themselves with otzi paste, a cosmetic mixture of butterfat and okra. And you can gaze into the starry skies. Well, I'd also recommend that you spend a little time in Windhoek, which is quite a lovely destination. You have a, quite a cosmopolitan mix of culture there in Windhoek. You can hear Portuguese, you can hear Kong, you can hear, uh, you can hear German, Afrikaans, English, Herero, all sorts of languages spoken. Very cosmopolitan for such a small national capital, sitting in a lovely spot in the hills of central Namibia. Also, I'd recommend highly a visit to Swakamun and then the dunes south of Swakamun, two world-class tourist destinations. Quite amazing if you make your way up to Namibia. There are other things to do in Namibia, but that's just some of the highlights right there. Slate Magazine has an article talking about a disturbing trend in Mauritius. Mauritius is considering an unprecedented attack on online freedom. The law would intercept and encrypt of all internet traffic in the country. Now, Mauritius has long been held up as a, a success story. It's a small country with a population of 1.3 million with an advanced economy, often held up by its fellow African Union members as a model democracy. That's what makes the proposal from the country's telecom regulators so worrying. It seeks to route all social media web traffic through government proxy servers, allowing it to be cached, searched, surveilled, and blocked. Malicious hackers often use a similar tactic known as the man-in-the-middle attack. In Mauritius' case, the government would be open, permanent, and sanctioned by domestic law. Prior to the Mauritian government's proposal, the only country to have explored a similar tactical mechanism to control the Internet was Kazakhstan in 2019. And under international pressure, that law was never implemented. 
The government argues that this is intrusion on its citizens' is merited because the social media companies are not adequately responsive to the demands for content takedowns. Well, I disagree, and this is quite a shocking, disturbing development. Meanwhile, in Sierra Leone, Chinese proposal to build a harbor in a $55 million or 39 million euro deal is running on rocky shoals. Apparently, locals weren't consulted. This is next to a conservation area, and there's a lot of angst and anger over what is happening in Sierra Leone. $55 million deal struck by the government of Sierra Leone with China to build an industrial fishing harbor on 250 acres of beach and protected rainforest has been criticized as a catastrophic human and ecological disaster by conservationists, landowners, and rights groups. The gold and black sands of Black Johnson Beach fringe the African nation's western area peninsula national park, home to endangered species including the doiker and pangolins. Waters are rich in sardines, barracuda, and grouper, caught by local fishermen who produce 70% of the fish for the domestic markets. After reports of Chinese-backed fish meal plant began circulating social media, a statement appeared to be from the government fisheries ministry confirmed the deal, but denied the plant construction was a fish mill. This deal to build a fish harbor next to rainforest is meeting fierce local resistance, sparked an outrage from conservationists, rights groups, and local landowners. China once again causing controversy in Africa for doing something that, in theory, should win praise, well, according to CNN. Giving away money. Well, giving away money never wins praise. It doesn't come without strings. Beijing is secretly gifted to Sierra Leone $55 million to fund a controversial fishing harbor, an under, undeveloped stretch of coastline. The deal came light only after residents were told by officials in the Whale Bay area where the harbor's planned that there was a hold on any land exchange because of a Chinese deal. So, so people who own land are going to have it stolen from them. Land tenure comes to the fro once again. Former Federal Reserve Chairwoman, Chairman, Chairwoman, Chairperson, whatever you people want to call this who are woke, former Federal Reserve Chairperson, Janet Yellen remains as clueless today as she was when she was in charge of the Federal Reserve, using trotting out 60-year-old tired excuses to give away money to African governments that will simply piss it down the drain. Yellen reinforces the U.S. commitment to Africa as the world emerges from COVID-19 pandemic. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen on Tuesday reiterated Washington's commitment to Africa as the world begins to emerge from the pandemic. She pointed out that many African economies have absorbed a growing debt burden, which has limited their ability to respond to the crisis. She said in a statement the U.S. and its partners in Africa should use the pandemic as an opportunity to facilitate structural transformation, helping to make African economies more inclusive, resilient to future shocks, including those related to climate change. The pandemic in Africa has pushed 40 million people into extreme poverty, according to the World Bank. The International Monetary Fund estimated that Africa will need 1.2 trillion over the next three years to recover from the virus, and the leftist Brookings Institute reports that. The U.S. is attempting to counter China's influence in Africa by going into the next decade. Well, Ms. Yellen remains completely clueless about Africa. 40 million people, how about the 640 plus million people who have no access to electricity? We've talked about a story today on the news about a boy who lost part of his arm because of electrification electric issues in Africa, in South Africa, in what was once the most developed economy on the continent, which produced nearly half of all electricity in sub-Saharan Africa, the disgrace that has become South Africa under the capricious rule of the African National Congress. 640 million people on the continent without access to any electricity whatsoever, stolen or otherwise. The pandemic is not a reasonable excuse to hand out more money to African governments and to African organizations. And it's also not an excuse for the U.S. to stick its nose into African economies. We have something that can entice African countries to follow proper procedures and have an open and inclusive economy. It's called the Africa Growth and Opportunity Act. And instead of creating new ways to bury us in even more debt by giving more money away to people who are irresponsible with it, the U.S. government should be looking at its own debt burden and piling on 
and the devaluation of our currency with the useless quantitative easing that continues despite the fact that it doesn't make the news. The bastardization of our economy and of our dollar and the debt burden poured on us during the pandemic is astronomical. Africa's debt burden is minor compared to the debt the Trump and Biden administration have buried us in during this pandemic. Unnecessary burden of debt. That should be the focus of Janet Yellen instead of excuses she's trotting out that are tired and have no bearing in reality whatsoever after nearly seven decades. The blood red moon is coming, folks. Yes, it is. This is a full eclipse and the sun going around the earth because the earth blocks the sun's access to the moon leads to this blood red moon. How you can photograph it, the super blood moon with your camera or phone. Capture the blood moon in all its copper tinged glory. Whether you call it the super blood moon, the super flower blood moon, or a lunar eclipse of the heart, a very special celestial event will be taking place this week, and now is the perfect time to make photographic battle plan for capturing it. The event is the second and last super moon of 2021, and it's taking place because on May 26th, the moon will be passing a mere 222,116 miles from the Earth, in galactic terms, a mere cigarette paper's width. But it's not just the full moon that will be bigger than normal. May's full moon will also coincide with a total lunar eclipse, with Earth sitting almost perfectly between the sun and the moon, when this happens, the moon will turn a ghostly red, earning it the moniker, the blood moon. With the moon so close, you'll be practically able to smell our alien neighbor's aftershave, so you'll be wanting a decent picture or two. Luckily, we've put together so you can get your camera phone. It's time to get your head torch at the ready and in preparation for Operation Blood Moon. <laughs> Indeed. There you go, folks. Super moons are pretty impressive in their own right, but this one will be about 7% bigger than average. Might not sound like much, but it promises look pretty cool. And unfortunately, if you're in Africa, this is what the global map looks like. You can see the entire eclipse if you're in about half of Australia, all of New Zealand, and Papua New Guinea, as well as Micronesia, Hawaii. You can see part of the eclipse in North America and South America. But if you're in Africa or Europe, you're not going to see squat, unfortunately. Exactly where the moon will look, its brightest and reddest, will heavily depend on where you are on this planet. If you're hoping to see any part of the lunar eclipse. The UK is the last place you want to be. North, Central, and South America are all good bets. Hawaii, huge chunks of Australia, and East Asia are all going to have a good show too. That's unfortunate for folks. And here are the times. New York, this is my concern, East Coast. Partial eclipse begins at 5.44 in the morning, Eastern Daylight Time. Total eclipse at 7.11 in the morning. That's a reasonable hour to be up. Maximum at 7.18, and it ends at 7.25. A 14-minute eclipse Looking forward to that. There you go. Super lunar event, super moon, red blood lunar eclipse, all happening at once. Here's what it means. This story from Shannon Schmall from Michigan State University. And there's what you see. That's the appearance of the moon. Look on the left, it looks 12% larger than it usually is because of its close location to the Earth. And here you can see the orbit and you can see how the moon gets to its closest point. You can see the sun, the Earth, and the moon moving behind it and how the Earth blocks the sun and it diffuses their light so that you get that blood red look. May 26th, ladies and gentlemen, it's just around the corner and I'll take some photographs of it so that I can show folks who follow the stream. Now, this is quite amazing. Let's watch this short video about the successful flight of Virgin Atlantic. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. I did say Virgin Atlantic, I meant Virgin Galactic. Faux pas there, of course, Virgin Atlantic is Richard Branson's transcontinental airline. It's been around for decades. Look at that amazing, amazing flight. 
Look at that thing in flight. Quite amazing. It looks like a spaceship, doesn't it? it carries six passengers with two pilots. This is the Unity spacecraft from Virgin Galactic. Private enterprise, ladies and gentlemen. Private enterprise, not state control. Quite amazing what can be accomplished. And there you have it, Virgin Galactic successful launch of its Unity spacecraft. Quite an amazing sight. And Germany continues to discriminate against UK citizens with its ludicrous travel restrictions, uh, this time taking no consideration of whether someone has previously had the infection or whether someone's fully immunized. It really doesn't matter. If you come from the United Kingdom to Germany, you must quarantine for two weeks. This is retribution for leaving the European Union. Starting from midnight Sunday, the German government is banning all but essential travel from the United Kingdom amid concerns of a variant first detected on the Indian subcontinent circulating through the British population. Germany's Minister of Public Health declared Great Britain and Northern Ireland a variant region. Only German citizens or people holding resident status will be allowed to enter Germany from the UK from midnight tonight. With the UK now classed as a variant zone, anyone entering Germany from the UK must prove, oh, they do have to prove, 72 hours. All right. They want to play it safe. The race merchants can add Stephen Smith, the basketball analyst and former NBA player, to their list of race mercantilists. That's right. ESPN Stephen Smith says Tim Tebow's NFL comeback is white privilege. Co-host Max Kellerman suggests Tebow should highlight that Colin Kaepernick hasn't had a chance at a comeback. Well, Colin Kaepernick is a dirtbag. That's why he hasn't had a chance to come back. ESPN's first take host, Stephen Smith, took aim at former Heisman Trophy winning quarterback Tim Tebow on Thursday, arguing that white privilege was a factor in his comeback after years out of the league. I'm happy for him, meaning Tim Tebow. Are you really happy for him? So you, you resort to racist language and a racist narrative, Stephen Smith. What a crock. I'm happy for him, meaning Tim Tebow specifically. But when you look at the totality of the situation, if I'm going to bring up white privilege when I brought up Steve Nash getting the job in Brooklyn, is this not an example of white privilege, Steve Smith? What, what brother you know is getting this opportunity? Wow. Wow. The racism never ends at the Entertainment and Sports Programming Network, the woke Disney property that steals $10 out of my pocket every month, even though I never watch ESPN because of the corrupt deal that cable companies have with ESPN. Meanwhile, legislators in the Texas Senate have passed a bill that would restrict racists from spewing their indoctrination in schools in Texas. Specifically, it prevents the teaching that one race is inherently better than another. First off, I have a problem with all that conversation. There's but one race. It's the human race. Homo sapiens. We're not Homo naledi. We are not Neanderthals. We're not Australopithecus. We are Homo sapiens. And there's no such thing as race. It's an artificial construct created by people to divide others. There are cultural differences. There are differences, minute differences in our DNA. But anyway, Texas is on the right path with this legislation. Texas Senate passed this bill that bans critical race theory from classrooms. House Bill 3979 doesn't mention it by name, but apparently aims to ban the controversial Marxist ideology in public and open charter schools. According to the bill of the text, a teacher may not be compelled to discuss current events or widely debated and currently controversial issues of public policy or social affairs in social studies curriculum in Texas history, U.S. history, or world government, world history, government, civic, social studies, or similar subjects, according to the bill. It will prevent 
teachers, administrators, or employees from state agencies, school districts, and open enrollment charter schools. They are prohibited from teaching students that one race is inherently superior to another race or sex, or that an individual is inherently racist, sexist, or oppressive by virtue of his or her race. Now that's scientific. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That is the news and the headlines, or those are the news and headlines from today. Make sure I got them all. The 23rd of May, 2021, on a Sunday. Thank you so much for your support and your patronage of Chris White Africa and Indaba African News Today.